0: When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.
1: Hey, y'all. This is Sam's Aunt Betty. This week on the
0: show, NTR breaking news reporter Vanessa Romo and
2: investigative reporter for NTR's Embedded Podcast, Tom Dressbox.
1: All right, let's start the show.
2: Hey, y'all. From NPR, I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. Happy weekend to my listeners, to my guests. Two guests here in studio with me in sunny California. Hi. Hey, Sam. Hey, hey. Vanessa Romo, breaking news reporter for NPR. Tom Dreisbach, producer and investigative reporter for NPR's Embedded Podcast. I'm glad you both are here. Thanks for having us. uh, In the fashion of this news week. You both have been uh, working on stories besides impeachment. But I'm going to start this episode by making you both talk about with me, at least for a minute, impeachment. It's here. It's happening. The trial began in the Senate this week. Thoughts?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm making a little bit of a a face on my end because it does seem to be absorbing absolutely everything. Oh, yeah. And yet, anytime I turn up the volume on the TV on my desk. It feels like I'm having deja vu and it's the exact same thing I heard like six months ago. I don't know, how long has this been happening? It feels like it's been happening forever. That's
4: the thing, right? It's such a weird feeling because when you think about the way the history books talk about impeachment, uh, the process for Nixon or then Clinton, you think it's a -a once-in-a-lifetime event, time stops, everyone's paying attention. But when you're actually living through it, you know, kind of life goes on. Life goes side. on.
2: And a lot of people aren't paying that much attention. Yeah. It is a long process. And I think why a lot of Americans feel this way, even those of us paid to watch the news, mm-hmm. because the GOP and the Democrats have already said how they're going to vote. No matter what. So it feels like we're watching a movie in which we already know how the movie ends. Right. There's only a few
4: question marks which are really at the margins, which are, will there be any live witnesses or even depositions like, well, of witnesses? And then turn the volume up, you know? And then will a few moderate Republican senators possibly vote to remove and convict yeah. President Trump? But even if they do, it is so unlikely that there will be 67 total votes To remove President Trump. So it kind of feels like, you know, I don't want to be too cynical, but it does feel like we know, know in broad strokes, the outcome.
2: We're going to move to some other topics. I want us to discuss two other big stories that have been in the news, but we've kind of forgotten about because of impeachment. With that, we're going to start the show, as we always do, asking my panelists to describe their week of news in only three words. Vanessa, you're going to go first. What are your three words about a story that is not impeachment?
3: My three words are short-term memory. Okay. And the reason that I bring this up, obviously, as we're talking about impeachment, it does seem to have sort of blotted out the rest of the news world, while we obviously know that there are tons of other news stories developing. And so this week, I actually worked on a story that stems back to 2014, the Flint water contamination crisis story. Mm -hmm. So there was a big legal development this week. In a weird way, it sort of new... News that didn't happen that made the news. Okay, explain. So the Supreme Court decided this week not to hear, not to take up two appeals cases that go back to Flint. Okay. And in doing that, they have opened up the pathway for the people of Flint, which is like tens of thousands of people, to pursue these civil class action lawsuits against city officials and state officials. Gotcha.
2: And so the question with these two cases that the court refused to hear was whether or not state and local officials involved in the Flint water crisis could be held liable for it, right?
3: Yes. So they had argued and have been arguing for years that Uh they were not responsible, they were not personally liable, and so they should not be personally held accountable. Mm -hmm. The decision by the lower courts so far has been actually, yeah, you can, right? And one of the people involved is Governor Rick Snyder, um, who was personally named in the class action lawsuit. And so a lower court had initially said, yeah, no, you can't sue him. And then another court said, yes, you can. And then the Supreme Court said, we're going to let that decision stand by not by not taking a position and not taking up the case. They're essentially letting it stand.
2: Yeah. And, and, And it's it's important to point out here how much lower courts have shown that officials did know there was a crisis and just tried to cover it up. For instance, this Governor Snyder, while he was telling the public, apparently the water's fine, the water's fine at his work, at his office, they were only drinking bottled water.
3: It's one of the things that I read this week, and I had sort of forgotten about it because, again, this all started in 2014. Yeah. When I read it in the documents again, I was sort of equally surprised. It was all over again. I sort of lived it in my body all over again as I was reading through the pages. But the governor, you know, almost immediately... Well, let me back up a little bit. What happened in 2014 is the city of Flint was like, hey, we're in financial dire straits. It was Mm -hmm. after the financial crisis. And they were like, let's save some money. Mm -hmm. So they decided to switch the water source from the Detroit Department of Water, Mm -hmm. to the Flint River. So now what's coming out of the tap is water from the Flint River, which hadn't happened for decades, Mm. right? And they didn't do the proper testing. They didn't do the proper treatment of all the pipes, which happened to be lead pipes underneath the city. And so almost immediately, people started calling and saying, my water is brown. It smells terrible. It tastes terrible. I feel ill.
2: And how how long from the first calls and emails about this to when the government finally said, there's a problem.
3: 18 months.
2: So as someone who watched this story and watched it be front page news for a while, we all did. Does it seem weird or strange, uh, Tom, to see the whole country kind of just forget about this thing, which is still going on?
4: Yeah, I think people, you know, the news business tends to focus on when there is a big moment of crisis and then we tend to move on. Very quickly. The process of people who are affected by this seeking some sort of compensation or justice in their minds that takes
2: years in many cases and some of the effects that these young kids will have from drinking this water is going to be their whole lives their whole lives right lead poisoning affects most acutely
4: kids yeah and acute affects their brain development and there's all sorts of stories we're hearing anecdotal stories of kids with developmental delays other issues that are they believe are a result of this poor water yeah and uh you know, that will list, last their whole lifetime. This is a lifetime
2: news story. And yeah.
4: yeah, exactly. This story will never go away for them, yeah. right? Even yeah. as the world stops Moves paying on. attention.
2: And so like Vanessa also... The length of the Flint water crisis uh, points to the fact that, like, there are more of these crises in other places.
3: Well, exactly. So this is why we should not have these short term memories. Mm -hmm. So Flint is not the only city with lead pipes. There are lead pipes all over the country in small cities, in big cities, in rural areas, in urban areas. And so this essentially sparked some momentum to replace those lead pipes throughout the country. In the Midwest alone, there are 180 cities right now that are looking at replacing their lead pipes.
2: Wow. This is not done yet. This is not done yet. (laughs) Not at all. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here with two guests, Tom Dreisbach, producer and investigative reporter for NPR's Embedded Podcast, and Vanessa Romo, breaking news reporter for NPR. Tom, you have three words on a story that is not impeachment. That's right. Okay. My three words are...
4: Freedom of Information. Okay. Yeah. I've been reporting on um, a document that we obtained under the Freedom of Information Act, which is this public records act that allows all of us in the public to obtain records from the federal government there are records in the end right we pay yeah. for them yeah and so we obtained a document from the Department of Homeland Security mm-hmm. outlining major concerns with one of the biggest immigration detention centers in the country where is the center this is in Atalanto California it's about okay. an hour and a half to two hours from here mm-hmm. here in LA and it's um, the Otelanto ice processing center it's How many run folks run are there about 2,000 okay which makes it one of the largest in the country it's uh-huh. run by By a private for-profit company called Geo Group uh, in a contract with ICE, Uh Immigration and Customs Enforcement. And what the report found that we obtained are major issues with mental health care, Hmm. um, medical care, and other treatment of detainees. How bad was it? Among the most striking findings were on medical care. They found the medical leadership at the facility was quote unquote incompetent and as a result negligent medical care was resulting and Mm. they found that it was more likely than not that this negligent medical care was causing bone deformities and even in some cases detainee deaths how do you
2: cause a bone deformity
4: basically by not treating a
2: broken bone in time if you
4: don't reset the bone or don't treat it in time then you can have a lifelong bone deformity
2: So, this report, which was from 2017, uh, it also said that some people in that center were kept in solitary confinement for up to two and a half years. Yeah, in one case, they found that over cumulatively
4: one detainee spent two and a half years, more than 900 days in solitary confinement, or what they refer to as segregation in ICE custody. And they're Basically, people. a lot of people don't understand this about immigration detention. It is not punishment, right? Huh. This is it's this is not vi- prison. They, okay. they literally put this in the detainee handbook. Really? Detention is not prison. It's you just are where not you wait. there to be punishment. It's huh. where they hold you. The government holds you uh. while they determine your immigration yeah. um, status and whether you can stay in the country or not.
2: Now, we would have never known about this unless you and your reporting got the report released. How hard was it for you to get it? So uh, these reports almost never
4: reach the public. Really? Uh, this report was written by an internal watchdog agency, or internal watchdog office, I should say, in the Department of Homeland Security called the Office for Civil Rights and Civil Liberties. Okay, they don't regularly release the reports to the public. We huh. had to file this public records request more than a year ago to receive the report. It took you like a year, year to get it. Wow! And then uh, at the same time, another. Uh, outside nonprofit group called the Project on Government Oversight, they actually sued the government to try to get this report. Uh And the government heavily redacted what they uh, handed over to the Project on Government Oversight. Luckily, and for reasons that are still kind of unknown to us, they didn't redact a lot of that information in our case. So we saw these things that hadn't been made public before.
2: Wow. You know, this feels so much like uh, our talk about the Flint water crisis, a story that was front page news for a long time, got a lot of folks concerned. All of a sudden it fades. Um, Is this a thing that just happens when the centers are overburdened? Or is there a specific reason why it's this bad right now under the Trump administration? So
4: the issues at this specific facility, we know from the report we obtained Go back as far as 2015 under the Obama okay. administration. Okay. So this is not unique to the Trump
2: administration. Uh-huh.
4: However, the Trump administration has dramatically expanded how many people... They will put in immigration detention. You know, under the Obama administration, there were people that they decided could remain in the community while they figured out their immigration
3: status.
2: Uh-huh. The
4: Trump administration relies much more on detaining people. So they're in more these prone facilities. to
2: say, "While you wait, you got to wait here." Exactly. And okay. So, we
4: so have... we don't
3: lose track of you. So you uh-huh. don't go out in the country right. and we lose you. And gotcha. then you sort of. This yeah. is
4: their explanation that they need to put people in these detention centers. But as a result, advocates and attorneys say. The administration is stretching a system that's already troubled to its breaking
2: point. Yeah. What did ICE do once you publish your story saying conditions in this center are very, very bad?
4: So ICE really didn't want to engage on the specifics of the report we obtained. They said that they disagreed with roughly half the findings in the report. And then when I asked, well, which ones did you agree with? Which ones did you disagree with? They wouldn't say, and when I asked what actions did you take to correct issues mm-hmm. that were identified in the report, they also wouldn't say. Huh. And so, this is a problem I think in a lot of these facilities, and part of the reason we don't hear about them all the time is that it's really hard to get information out of them. Yeah.
3: Well, I have a question. So, so this report was filed by a watch internal watchdog group, mm-hmm. but do they have any? Leverage to force these companies to do anything to make any changes Is, does the GEO Group have to respond in some way?
4: No. So huh. this office doesn't have that kind of enforcement power huh. internally. And actually, the uh, Department of Homeland Security's Office of Inspector General has found that in general, ICE has all this you know power with the they, they can decide whether they want to spend money on the GEO Group or another company to run these facilities, and they're not using that power to enforce uh, improvements, to force these companies to actually improve conditions that have been found to be negligent.
2: What does your experience trying to get this report from the Trump White House, from ICE, what does it say about the way the Trump White House in general goes about its business?
4: Well, I should say that, you know, no administration has been great (laughs) about providing access to public records. Okay. Uh, But I think the administration, you know, Donald Trump, the president has referred to the press as the enemy of the people. Mm -hmm. They have routinely denied records requests from members of Congress, right? Um, A lot of this information regarding impeachment, they've blocked any information from the State Department, from the Defense Department, basically from the Office of Management and Budget, from actually going to Congress, which is supposed to oversee the administration. But I do think there's just a general sense from the Trump White House that they don't need to provide mm. all of this information to the public or the press. Uh, I mean yeah.
3: even on a not even a freedom of information act but like when's the last time that there was a,
2: a White House press
4: conference? White House it's press true. conference. It's been hundreds of days.
3: It's been, a, it's been
2: days. a minute.
3: Yeah.
2: <laughs> on that note, on that note it's time for a break. Coming up, we're going to talk about Hillary Clinton. She's back on the news this week. She's out with a new documentary premiering at Sundance this weekend. And in this film, she does not hold back. She has some choice words for all of us, including some choice words for one Bernie Sanders. We make sense of what she said and we try to figure out how much gender affects what we heard. After the break, you are listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. We'll be right back.
5: The following message comes from our sponsor Chipotle, working to champion young farmers like Kelsey Cruz, a hog farmer for one of Chipotle's pork suppliers, Nyman Ranch. As a sixth-generation farmer in southwest Iowa, Kelsey recognizes that the lifestyle is changing rapidly in today's urbanizing world.
1: You don't hear of anyone that's like, I'm going to be a farmer. Unfortunately, you have to be, in this day and age, either born into it, or you have to know someone that's going to give you that opportunity to say, Um, rent some ground from you or let you buy you know a, a plot of land to get yourself started on and that's not an easy or a financially realistic task for someone who say is is our age in their early 20s your food has to come from somewhere and it has to continue coming from somewhere I get excited telling people about
5: how my family raises pigs so that's near and dear and important to me to learn more about how Chipotle is working to champion young farmers through three-year contracts for eligible farmers under 40, go to chipotle.com farmers. Who was Qasem Soleimani? And what exactly was his role in Iran? This week on Throughline, how the assassinated Iranian general and the organization he represented have shaped the relationship between the U.S. and Iran for decades. That's this week on Throughline from NPR, the podcast where we go back in time to understand the present.
2: We are back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here with two guests, Vanessa Romo, breaking news reporter for NPR, and Tom Dreisbach, producer and investigative reporter for NPR's Embedded podcast. I want to ask if you guys saw the news this week about the minor league baseball team that renamed themselves to the (laughs) Y'alls. No. (laughs) No. It's really cute.
4: Where in the country are they?
2: This team is in Florence, Kentucky. Okay. Uh, a minor league baseball team is changing their name from the freedom to the y'alls with the apostrophe mark. And uh, the catchphrase they coined at the debut of this new name was y'all or nothing.
3: Y'all Wait a minute. or nothing <laughs> yeah. or y'all are nothing. <laughs>
2: y'all or nothing. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. I think that's cute.
3: I think it's a hot thousand percent improvement over the freedom. The freedom. The freedom is
4: like a concept.
3: Yeah. (laughs) That's not a like I think of you know the algebra.
4: Tigers. I would name Uh, my minor
2: league baseball team the Sophisticats. (laughs) <laughs> just imagine having a call a game every the sophisticated steal second base that sounds Ooh, fun. that is fun right? I
3: do like that
2: yeah what about y'all yeah.
3: you can also wear a cravat while you're out <laughs> there yes, Ooh, yes. yes.
2: Oh,
4: crava- the cravats maybe I'll be the cravats then
2: <laughs> let's pivot to another uh, fun pastime film this weekend begins the Sundance Film Festival. One of the hottest premieres there is a documentary about a politician who last ran for office in 2016.
4: I provoke strong opinions. Are
1: we ready? There's okay. so much to talk about.
2: Okay. So I much to talk about with Hillary Clinton. She is... On screen in a four-part Hulu docuseries out in March but premiering at Sundance this weekend.
3: You want to make a difference, you want to have an impact,
4: well then you got to get in the arena.
2: And I'm sure you guys have heard some of the headlines that are coming from this movie already, right?
4: I heard the backlash,
2: mostly. Yeah, so there's been a big backlash to some words she said in this docuseries about her former opponent, Bernie Sanders, who she ran against in 2016. Mm -hmm. She said of him, quote, nobody likes him. Then she went on to say he was a career politician. It's all just baloney.
4: I love Birdie's uh, retort. Birdie's comeback was what did pretty he say? good. He said, on a good day, my wife likes me. What?
2: <laughs> well, it was really interesting because it took me right back to 2016 mm. in which every statement or move by Hillary Clinton was also a question about how we treat powerful women.
3: Mm -hmm. And I don't
2: think we answered those questions in 2016 uh, completely or even well. And now all those questions flared up again this week. Uh, I spoke actually with Lacey Rose of The Hollywood Reporter. She interviewed former Secretary of State Clinton earlier this week about that movie. And uh, Hillary told Lacey I stand by everything I said. Hmm. So I want to talk to Lacey about what Hillary said, what that movie says, uh, and what we should take from this film and her right now. We start by Lacey telling me what else is in the movie.
1: There is about a half hour um, of exploring her marriage. Okay. You know, the the filmmaker set out to answer the question of why did she stay with him? What does that marriage look like today? Are they living separate lives? Um, Is this love? And in that exploration talks to both Bill and Hillary and many others about what happened with Monica and yeah. how how he told her initially first that it wasn't true and, and next that it yeah. was, and what happened, uh, you know, in those sort of dark, quiet, ugly days. And to hear them both reflect in detail that they never have yeah. offered before was pretty startling yeah. to watch, Bill in particular.
2: Really. Well, and like, I will say... The entirety of their marriage, they've never said anything. But this is a very strong marriage, and we actually like each other. Are they still saying that?
1: <laughs> they are indeed yeah. still still saying that. Whether yeah. people will believe it or not, who knows? But I think they I think the filmmaker does a compelling job of of showing the sort of arc of their marriage. And you see him, by the way, at every step along the way in the twenty sixteen campaign. You didn't often see him, sort of, you know, on 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 the stage at the microphone, mm-hmm. but, but he's there playing cards in the back room. He was room. a stage dad. He, he was, was a stage there. dad. Absolutely. Yeah. And you, you see that and you see her, you know, calls to her and, and you know, a, a sort of a more intimate side of, of their relationship. Yeah.
2: That could be the narrative out of this movie and its right. premiere. It is not.
1: <laughs> it is absolutely not. <laughs>
2: it's about what Hillary said about her former opponent for the presidency, Bernie Sanders. What does she say in that
1: film? In that film, she goes on, uh, you know, a a bit of a tear. It's after you you see the the two of them backstage at at some campaign event. It's an awkward exchange. And then she is speaking to camera. And she says, you know, he drives me crazy. Uh, Nobody likes him. Nobody supported him, you know, in that campaign. And, you know, that it was all baloney, the swirl around him. I asked if that assessment still holds and... There was not a pause. It was yes. And then my follow-up question mm-hmm. was, okay, if he were to win, do you campaign on, on his behalf? Um, and there was a pause. Okay. And How long was, of a pause? Uh, seconds. Okay. mean um, Seconds. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, and it was, you know, I don't want to go there yet. But she went on to explain why there wasn't an immediate, yes, I'm going to be right out on the trail for him. And and it was a lot about the sort of the tone, the vitriol and the attacks on his opponent, in her case, her four years ago, particularly as it relates to women. And, and she then said, you know, and, and we saw it with Kamala. We're, we're seeing it with Elizabeth Warren. Yeah, And if um, I'm
2: correct from your interview, she's basically saying, I'm not saying Bernie is attacking these women. She's saying Bernie allows his supporters to attack these women in some of the same ways they attacked her.
1: I think that that's exactly right. What she is saying is, you know, at best, he is, you know, allowing it to happen, turning it blind. At worst, he's actually encouraging it to happen.
2: Huh. So then... A question I went back and forth with my editor over was, is the way we feel about the words she said about Bernie more about the words or more about the messenger? There is a reality in which if a politician says of their former opponent, nobody likes him, that's a story. But there's also a reality in which whatever Hillary Clinton says about any man she's ever run against, it's a story just because she opened her mouth. What do you feel is going on here with
1: that? I agree with you on that one. I think that, quite frankly, anything that that this woman is is going to say right now. She could (laughs) have said I
2: endorse Bernie. They would have been like, stop talking
1: correct I, I think you see it I, I certainly saw it as the author of the story yesterday the amount of vitriol that, that is, is that, that I got um but I think that, that 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 she gets that that her just the mention of her name I mean this is and and that sort of unlikability piece has yeah. dogged her since the very start and and by the way I think the the documentary does a very good job of of looking at the why of that um, I, I don't know that it fully answers it but it certainly explores and shows you how long she has been dealing with that and being on the receiving end of vitriol um that is it's you know spewed at her um but it is it, it's an interesting question yeah
2: you are a reporter I am who covers a lot of different kinds of stories yep. about entertainment and you probably have a good sense of how a story will track once it's published do you think part of why this movie and this story is tracking the way it is some of it because of just sexism. Like, if a man had said these words, would it have been less of a blip on the radar?
1: Yeah, I, I think absolutely gender plays into into this story. Uh, and I think it has played into her story, <laughs> again, I mean, her entire career. Yeah. And she's allowed it, it to. I mean, that that is a narrative that she doesn't shy away from. And I think in the last... A week or so that the story of whether a woman is electable. Also, something I asked, she j- jumped right in on that too. Now, now, whether she, he said it, he didn't say it. She, she, she wasn't there. She doesn't Talking know. Talking about
2: the comments to Warren to Elizabeth Warren in 2018. He implied
1: that a woman couldn't win. Yes. She obviously feels very differently, but that made her crazy. Mm. And she talked about how, obviously, she was very vocal about coverage in 2016. Uh, being sexist, she, she feels she was hopeful that it would be different with, with more women, at least initially in, in this race, uh, feels it hasn't been. So, yes, gender is absolutely something that plays into this. Yeah,
2: yeah. Last question yeah. for you, and it's a two-part question. What is the lesson of Hillary Clinton right now? And this documentary for women or even for you.
1: I think her hope uh, for, for women watching this is you, you watch and you see sort of what is at stake and what people like Hillary had to do to get where we are and how important it is to sort of keep fighting. I think the end of the docuseries uh, does strike a sort of more hopeful tone to it. Uh, you, you see the, the marches, you see the women who, who took the house, and you see the gains that were, were made. Um, and I think there is a message of keep fighting. Okay.
2: What is a lesson for all of us, not just women, if there is a big one?
1: Um, for all of us. There's a quote in there, and, and I may botch it, but it's, it's the, the challenge of, of the people at the tip of the spear. Those people are going to have a whole lot of... First, the, the people who, Yeah, the groundbreakers. It, it's never going to be easy for them. Hmm. It's the people who come next, and so there is a, a feeling of be the people who come next.
2: All right, thanks again to Lacey Rose of The Hollywood Reporter. Uh, back here in studio with my two panelists. Question for you both, Tom, Vanessa... Are we ever going to get over 2016?
3: I don't think so. Okay. okay. I, I really don't think so. Okay.
2: All right. Um,
3: because it is the closest the country has ever come to potentially electing a woman. Mm-hmm. It, it's just going to be this conversation that we keep coming back to in terms of the role that gender does play in politics and the way that, that political figures who happen to be women are perceived and reported on and talked about. Yeah. What's
4: yeah. So, a little surprising is... The conflict between Bernie and Hillary still burns so bright four years later. But yes. the conflict between Hillary and Obama in 2008 was actually way more intense. Oh, my God. Oh, the, yeah. The accusations going back and forth yeah. during the 2008 primary. And they got over it. And they got over it. So uh, maybe winning just heals wounds. <laughs> I would in say a way. in when my life, side yes. Wins, <laughs> yeah. And when you get to be secretary of state, I guess that probably that heals probably some helps. of those wounds. <laughs>
2: On that note, it's time for a break. When we come back, my favorite game, Who Said That? You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, BRB.
5: This message comes from NPR sponsor, homes.com. When you're home shopping as a parent, you have lots of questions about local schools. That's why each listing on Homes.com includes extensive reports on local schools, including photos, parent reviews, student-teacher ratio, school rankings, and more. The information is from multiple trusted sources and curated by a dedicated in-house research team. It's also you can make the right decision for your family. Homes.com. We've done your homework.
0: is Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Hey, Gene. What's good?
5: You know we probably shouldn't be friends. Why are you trying to hurt my family? I mean, statistically speaking, most adults don't have a single friend of a different race.
0: As it happens, on the next episode of NPR's Code Switch, we're talking about making and maintaining friendships across racial lines.
5: Listen and subscribe.
2: We are back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I am Sam Sanders here at NPR West, joined by two guests in studio, Vanessa Romo, breaking news reporter for NPR, and Tom Dreisbach, producer and investigative reporter for NPR's Embedded Podcast. Y'all, it is time for my favorite game, Who Said That? I've never clapped with it. I kind of like that effect. I'm going to keep it up in the future. Who said that? Yeah. All right, you both have played before. What is y'all's record on Who Said That? Abysmal. I, I think I won once I and think, lost I, once. Won once. Oh, I, think I won once. Karen Grigsby-Bates beat me. Uh-huh, uh-huh, Well, this is very simple. You know how it goes. Okay. I share a quote from the week. You got to tell me who said it or guess what story I'm talking about. The winner gets absolutely nothing. First quote, here we go. In the ultimate selfless act, he sacrificed himself to save his friends when they needed him most. A famous mascot killed off this week.
4: The Masked Singer. (laughs) It's <laughs> really
2: morbid. They can't kill the mass singer as a person.
3: Oh, the freedom I know mascot? Who, it is. who is this? I have no idea.
2: It's Mr. Peanut. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, what is this? I it's, okay. Let me explain. Don't it's so weird. So, that quote comes from the Mr. Peanut Twitter account. That account announced this week that Mr. Peanut, the mascot for Planters Peanuts, was killed off. They killed off Mr. Peanut.
3: What happened? Did he lose his monocle and then, like, something (laughs) terrible? What are they
2: replacing him with, y'all? Yeah, right? So, fun fact, Mr. Peanut is 104, or was. He did now. Uh, But he's in a (laughs) Super Bowl commercial in which he falls Uh... to his death trying to save other people. Uh, This commercial features Mr. Peanut and Matt Walsh and Wesley Snipes taking a road trip in the nutmobile. They're singing, I just died in your arms when an animal on the road makes the nutmobile swerve. (gasps) They're all hanging on for dear life. And Mr. Peanut makes the ultimate sacrifice falling to his death in a fiery heap on top of the nutmobile. Anything (laughs) but the nutmobile. (laughs) And so this was supposed to be an ad in the Super Bowl, but because that's jumped the shark, we saw the ad this week. Oh, I totally missed the
4: ad. I missed the
3: ad. Wait, I have so many questions. (laughs) Who is the friend that he saves?
2: <laughs> he saves Wesley Snipes. Duh. Uh,
4: <laughs>
3: Blade. Okay. He let he lets Matt. He let Matt Walsh Blade. die.
2: No, Matt Walsh lives. Oh, I see. Snipes lives. Also, if you think about Mr. Peanut and what he represents, it's very sick and twisted. <laughs> he is a rich peanut who encourages other folks to eat other poor peanuts.
3: The cannibalist. He's a cannibal.
2: <laughs> All right, Tom. You got a point. Woo. Next quote. Tell me where this story comes from. Where this story comes mm. from. Don't be surprised if you see iguanas falling from the trees tonight.
3: Florida. Florida. Shout out to Florida. As
2: a news person, I got to tell you, the headlines from Florida never disappoint.
3: The thing is, this is a recurring headline. It happens every (laughs) Every winter.
2: So this quote comes from a tweet from the Miami Office of the National Weather Service. They were explaining, basically, during this cold spell happening in Miami, sometimes iguanas' bodies actually go dormant in the winter in the cold, um, so they can, like, preserve themselves. But they go so limp and dormant, they'll, like, fall out of the trees sometimes. (laughs) And because these iguanas are large... You gotta be careful, man. They can hurt you.
4: It's do raining
3: they... cats and iguanas in oh here, Florida. <laughs> I got it.
4: I do not. No. Oh my god! Take a point away for that.
2: No, <laughs> she gets the point. The cold spell is like the 30s and 40s for Miami, which is cold for Miami and cold for the iguanas. Oh. I just like,
4: do they survive?
2: Yeah. I okay. mean, will you survive nope. if the iguana lands on your face?
3: How heavy are these iguanas?
2: It's Florida, super sized. Are they doing it to save
4: Wesley Snipes? In a, <laughs> a horrible crash. <laughs>
2: All right, I think the game is tied. It is. Yes. This final track? final quote, it's going to be hard for y'all, but it's going to be worth it. Okay. It is, enjoy your mountain. Put your arch into it. Don't go bare.
3: Oh, I know this one. What was it? I almost pitched this story. <laughs>
2: <laughs> what Joy is Enjoy your mountain?
3: The state of Utah. That's which, it. Which apparently they wanted to put out Prophylactics. Yes.
2: So the state of Utah was going to start distributing free condoms to oh. help with STDs and unwanted pregnancies, etc. Um, but after the new slogans were determined for the condom wrappers, the governor of Utah said they're a little bit too risque and he does not approve of sexual innuendo and he had the condoms recalled. So the Salt Lake Tribune says, quote, the Utah Department of Health will destroy all packaging with provocative Utah-themed messages on thousands of condoms it has been able to retrieve from partner agencies.
3: Where were the ones that were turned down?
2: Oh, I'm sure there were some that were even crazier.
3: And then this went through multiple levels of approval. I mean, you don't actually print out plastic packages and And then
2: say many people signed off many people were like that's cool (laughs) that's cool also you're already saying the risky business is okay by giving out the condoms right right it's a little bit like innuendo right like what do you think is done with with condoms condoms. yes yes (laughs) anyways who got that i think oh vanessa she won this one was for the iguanas for the y'alls <laughs> for all of it congratulations the cravats, the cravats. yes um, how do you feel?
3: like a champion yeah. like the champion that you know my, my daily reminders tell me that I am
2: that's right that's <laughs> right congratulations uh, that concludes Who Said That? Now it's time to end the show, as we always do. We ask our listeners to share with us the best things that have happened to them all week. They always brag. Anjali, hit the tape.
5: Hi, Sam. This is Gina from Philadelphia. And the best part of my week was that a fifth-grade student who I've been working with since he was in third grade had never scored over 60% on a math test before And this week he got the highest grade in his class. And I'm so proud of him for his hard work over the last couple of years, including Saturday school. And I'm excited to see what comes next for him. Hey Sam, this is Erin from New Hampshire. The best thing that happened to me this week is I got to travel down to Atlanta to see my best friend of 20 years and surprise her for her
1: 40th birthday. The best thing that happened to me this week was that my husband and I dropped off our three-year-old
4: daughter with my parents and had a weekend getaway, just the two of us.
5: The best thing that happened to me this week was that I finally left my soul-sucking corporate gig and went to work for a social welfare agency, helping kids who are in the foster care system.
0: Hallo und guten Tag from Hamburg in Germany. The best part of our week is that my little baby girl, who is four months old, has been drinking from a bottle for the first time yesterday. And that means that her mother and her two bigger siblings can go to a concert right now while Daddy is taking care at home. Hey Sam, this is Ryan. And David. From Omaha, Nebraska. The best part of our week was braving a snowstorm to drive to Denver
4: and spend the weekend with our friends Paul and Stacia as we celebrated Paul's birthday. We
0: played board games, visited hot springs, ate mountain style pizza and
4: enjoyed a delicious ice cream cake.
0: I'm so grateful for this time together. Thanks, Sam.
4: Thanks. Love your show. Have a great week. Bye.
2: Bye. I love it. What is mountain style pizza? Please send photos and recipes. Thanks to all those folks you heard there. Gina, Aaron, Dana, Amy, Hano in Germany. You know, we actually talked with Hano uh, for a segment for this show a long time ago. So I remember you. Uh, Protests in Europe, I believe. Oh, fascinating. So congrats, Hano and your kid. Listeners, you can be a part of this segment. Uh, If you have a best part of your week to share, just record the sound of your voice onto your smartphone and then email that sound file to me at samsanders at npr.org. samsanders at npr. Alright, that's it. It's time to go home, y'all. We did it, Sam. We did it.
3: Let's have a great weekend. Woo! A wonderful,
2: wonderful weekend. This week the show was produced by Brent Bachman, Anjali Sastry, and Danny Hensel. Our fearless editor is Kitty Isley. Our superhero intern is Hafsa Fatima. Our director of programming is Steve Nelson. Our big boss is NPR's senior VP of programming, Anya Grundman. Alright, listeners, till next time. Thank you for listening. I'm Sam Sanders. Talk soon.
5: Support for NPR and the following message come from Sattva. Sattva luxury mattresses are every bit as elegant as the most expensive brands, but because they're sold online, they're about half the price. Visit com slash NPR and save an additional two hundred dollars. In any great story, there's a moment that sparks your curiosity